A father was trying to get his high-energy four-year-old son to sit down and be still. So he issued several commands to sit down and be still and stop being rambunctious and bouncing all over the house, and the little boy would not comply. So finally, the father took him by force and forced him to sit down. He said, I said sit down. The little boy was forced to sit down, and after a few seconds, he said to his father, I may be sitting down on the outside. And then defiantly, he said, but I'm standing up on the inside. I think that represents the hard attitude of so many. I'm standing up on the inside. Subtly, especially as Americans, we can find the thought, the idea of being under authority, we can find it to be repulsive. We can hate it with passion and disdain. The idea that I would put myself under anyone's authority and and comply quietly and peacefully, forget about it, right? But here's what that crowd overlooks so very often. And I'm talking about believers specifically. This is critical. I mean, you and I have to get this. Listen, it is impossible, emphasis on impossible, It is impossible to walk with God without keeping ourselves under authority. You cannot do it. You cannot and you will not walk with God if you do not keep yourself under authority. Cannot do it. We said last week that submission to God-ordained authority is ultimately a reflection of our submission to Him. So if we are unwilling to submit to God-ordained authority structures that we can see, how will we ever submit to a God that we cannot see? It's impossible. So if you are standing up on the inside, you must understand that your protest ultimately is against God himself. You are challenging God directly more so than you are challenging any visible authority. And what we saw in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 we saw that one of the ways that we show our submission to God himself is by our submission to the civil government. And even saying that puts a bad taste in the mouth of many very quickly. But to lift the stigma of that, we have to understand or we need to examine a couple of things. The first being the purpose of submission. There is a purpose. It's not... It's not vain, it's not wasted, it's not just to make life difficult for you. There is something behind it. There is a why. But failure to see the purpose of submission means that submission for you is always going to be an uphill battle that you're losing constantly. Like you're losing it over and over and over again. And in case you haven't learned, the way that God deals with all of us 
is wherever we're struggling, wherever we're failing, wherever we're grieving him, wherever we continue to just trip over and over and over again in disobedience, God says, I'm just going to keep running you through that until you get it. God says, I'm not going to allow you to go around it. I won't allow you to excuse yourself. I'm going to keep running you through this until you finally get it. And if that takes five months, it takes five months. If it takes five years, it takes five years. But you will never be excused. God says, I don't negotiate when it comes to obedience to my word. I don't care how much you dislike it. Look at verse 15 of 1 Peter chapter 2. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Now, whenever we're talking about the purpose of something, we're talking about the why. We're addressing the question of why. And we're given that in this opening statement of verse 15 in particular. Look at it. For so is the will of God. Now, this will be very, very simple. And that's okay. It needs to be. I would say this is Bible study 101. When we're talking about the will of God, we're always talking about what is it that God desires. What is it that God desires? That is the will of God. Listen, God desires. God desires for you and me. God desires for us to keep ourselves under authority. It's what he desires. God desires that. It is his will. So if that's what God desires, guess what? It ought to be what you desire. Listen, if you are just, if you have an ounce of spiritual maturity, it ought to terrify you to not be under authority. Why? Because God, that's your will. You ought to tremble at the very thought of rebelling against any God-ordained authority. That ought to terrify you. Why? Because, God, that's what you desire. Why would I willingly go against something that you have shown me to be pleasing to you? You want to keep yourself there. So listen. If you've got the spirit of the rambunctious four-year-old boy that is standing up on the inside, I can assure you, your personal walk with God is suffering. Because that is aimed and targeted at God ultimately. Because the moment you remove yourself from being under authority... Your relationship with God is ruptured. Absolutely is. But as it relates to the civil government, we place ourselves under authority to the civil government because it pleases 
God. Not because the civil government is right, not because we agree with their politics. That's not why. We do it because it pleases God. If your submission to authority is not God-centered, so I'm saying it's not about whether it's a, a Democratic president or a Republican president. It has nothing to do with that as far as you are concerned as a believer. It's that, no, this pleases God. And so it's got to be God-centered. Listen, if it's not God-centered, it will be disingenuous and short-lived. You won't keep yourself there, whether it's the government, the church, or the home. If it's not God-centered, it won't be genuine, and it will be short-lived. Peter stressed that our submission must be God-centered. Look at verse 13 again. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. For whose sake? Your sake? For the sake of man? For the sake of the government you're submitting to? No, it has nothing to do with either. It has nothing to do with you or nothing to do with them for the Lord's sake. Verse 15, for so is the will of God. Verse 16, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. As believers in Jesus Christ, we understand that we are free. We are free in Jesus Christ. We've been made free from the bondage of sin and death. But listen, we are not to use that freedom as license or permission now to dismiss ourselves from being under God-ordained authority. In other words, none of us get to say, because I'm free in Christ, I don't have to be under the authority of the government, the home, or the church. That would be using your liberty for a cloak or a false covering, if you would, of maliciousness. And why would we not do that? He tells us, because we are the servants of God. If you are a true servant of God, then you understand and you know that the only preoccupation with every true servant is pleasing their master. That's it. They have no interest in thinking, saying, or doing anything that would not be pleasing to their master. This is, I mean, the very idea of not being under the authority of their master is as foreign to them as Greek is to you and me. It doesn't please the Lord when we try to use our liberty in Christ to say, well, I'm just going to do me. I'm an American. That's just how I roll. We said last week that we cannot, nor will we, nor do we have any interest in submitting to every mandate of the government. We unpack that. If you weren't here, you can get that online. But when you look at what 
the Apostle Paul wrote, and when you look at what Peter is sharing with us here in 1 Peter chapter 2, it seems to me that there are three areas of focus that, that we should probably concern ourselves with. I'm going to be very careful here. Uh, I am not being dogmatic here, and, and I am not trying to, uh, God forbid, persuade anyone politically. That, that, that's not my objective or my agenda. I'm just trying to just be respectful of, of what we see. And, and this just could be for me. This was my takeaway, and I'll share it with you here in just a moment. But, but would, you, would you look at what we see here? We're going to look at, at verse 14, and then we'll look at Romans 13. But it seems that what we're given is, as believers... We absolutely ought to concern ourselves with obeying the laws of the land as much as Scripture would allow, and that we should pay our taxes, and that we should honor those in government. That is crystal clear biblically. Let's look at it. Look at verse 14. Or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. Romans 13, beginning in verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So again, for me, when we're talking about government, when we're talking about politics, that's my focus. And I'm thankful for that clarity. I need to obey the laws of the land as much as Scripture allows. I need to pay my taxes, and I need to honor my government officials regardless of their political persuasion. I can substantiate that biblically, and if I personally get invested beyond that, which I have done to my discredit, I am prone to get out of balance politically, and I have done that too. To those who are so very politically invested, I need you to hear this, and I need you to hear this loud and clear. Listen, there is no political party that is inerrant and infallible. That does not exist. There is no political party that is inerrant and infallible. If you're looking for inerrancy and you're looking for infallibility, amen? You will not find it anywhere else. 
Now, over history, uh, our half political parties or a political party aligned itself more with this than another? Yes. But even that party, if you're honest with yourself, at some point it will break down and deviate from this. At some point, I guarantee it. So, proceed very carefully. Don't get out of balance. Next, we place ourselves under authority to the civil government to silence unbelievers. Now look at verse 15 again. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. One of the ways that we silence unbelieving critics, listen, is through our submission. It's one of the ways that we silence unbelieving critics. It's through our submission. And that principle shows up again in chapter 3, ladies, because what's one of the ways that a wife wins her unbelieving husband? Through her submission. Well, look at what Paul, I'm sorry, look at what Peter said in verse 17. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Now, listen, I want to give you a principle here. I mean, this, this is for me, this is for you. Understand, it's hard for an unbeliever to be critical of a 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 Christian. It's very hard for them to make noise about you. Listen, how do you criticize someone who is honoring you and being subject to you? What's there to criticize? Uh, how nasty can you be? Listen, I praise God for my wife. She is an incredible, incredible woman. I mean that. God outdid himself, and I believe with all my heart she could have done a whole lot better. But maybe she was just off at that time in her life, and I'm glad that she was. But you know one of the things that I have learned from her that God has taught me? I mean, I'm not the easiest guy to walk with. I'm not the easiest guy to live with. She can tell you that. Um, but to her, to her credit, she is a Proverbs 15:1 woman. A soft answer turns away wrath. A grievous word stir up anger. Lori will just not get nasty. She will not get hostile. She will not get heated. She will not get confrontational. How do you fight with that? You can't. You can't. It's impossible. She's going to be gentle. She's going to be kind. She's going to be meek. She's going to be merciful. She's going to be gracious. That's her. So how do you criticize someone like that? How do you fight with someone like that? She, I think she'd rather drink a supersized cup of Clorox bleach before she would ever outright dishonor me. Like she loathes the idea of that. I made the mistake, and I do make a mistake. I was trying to be funny. I made the mistake. Um, 
our dear late brother, Mark Trotter, uh, he said to me one day, he goes, bro, man, your wife, man, she's got to just have it up to here with me, man. She emails me, man, and LFBI, and I'm just not, I mean, I'm so behind. And uh, I was like, Mark, I said, if my wife even had the idea that you thought that she was irritated with you, frustrated with you, it would kill her. It would. So we're driving to church one night, and I said, Lori, what's, a, what's going on with you and Mark Trotter? And she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, man, Mark said you read him the right act. You let him have it. You blasted him. So you sent a nasty email about you're sick and tired of him getting his stuff in late to you, and this is going to stop. And, and I look over, and the tears are rolling down her face. Like, oh, don't do that. <laughs> That's my wife. I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I told Mark about that. He said, bro, <laughs> that wasn't wise. It's like, <laughs> Yeah, I know. You would think at that time, I was at least 15 years into this thing, and I thought it was funny in the moment, but uh, I won't do that again, as well as a, a few other things I've learned along the way, not to repeat. But when that's your disposition, that unbeliever who despises your God, despises your Bible, despises your way of life, will find it very hard to even criticize you. I need you to hear me. If you're denigrating Donald Trump or President Joe Biden on social media to your family and friends, coworkers, and if you're being insubordinate to those who are over you in the workplace, that is, you're challenging them directly, indirectly. You're bad-mouthing them to coworkers and undermining their authority, tearing them down with your mouth. Here's what you're doing, ultimately. What you're doing is you are thumbing your nose at God regarding his will for you to be under authority. What you're saying to God is, this is what I think of that. Which ultimately says, God, I'm so politically charged and I'm so politically passionate, I don't care what your will is here. I don't care. I don't advise that position because that is grievous to God. And listen, <laughs> would you look at the premium that God places on this? Look at the premium that God, look at verse 18. Look at how big of a deal this is to God, but also to the forward. This is the warped. Those who are twisted and messed up in the head. What is it that we do? How do we deal with that manager? And we've all had one along the way. What do you do? He tells you in verse 18, what? Be subject to. 
Even this manager who is a demon, warped, forward, messed up, a tyrant. The Antichrist is here at your workplace, right? You report to him, you report to her. Criticize, challenge, resist, fight, make your point, argue, stand your ground, stand up on the inside. No, be subject to. Are you a biblicist or not? Now, it might be that another job opportunity is in order for you. If that's the case, praise the Lord. But until that is the case, be subject to. Again, our theme for this whole book is what? Christian behavior. What we're seeing in this section of 1 Peter is how Christians ought to behave themselves under God-ordained authority. This is it. It's not an American perspective. It's a biblical perspective. And what is amplified in chapter 3 is this type of behavior has a winning effect on the lost. It does. Boy, you got to get this. I got to get this too, because I'm certain that in addition to their own pride, one of the tools Satan uses to keep the gospel hidden from lost people, you ready? Is prideful and arrogant believers. That is one of the tools in the hand of Satan to keep the gospel hidden from the lost. It's not just their own pride. He uses the pride and arrogance of believers. There are some, listen, who can preach the gospel backwards in their sleep. The problem is they reek of pride and arrogance. And guess where that can get exposed so very easily today? When you choose to incite or enter a fierce debate about politics and social issues, your pride and your arrogance, I mean, it is fully exposed. And guess what Satan is using to keep the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ hidden in their life in that moment? Guess what he's using? You. Your pride and your arrogance. They are so turned off. You are so off-putting that they want nothing to do with this gospel that you're trying to at some point tout before them and they're saying, if that, has, if that is associated with you, I want nothing to do with it. Who can be the angriest? Who can yell the loudest? Who can be the nastiest? So we see the purpose of submission to the civil government is because it pleases God and it silences unbelievers. In the time we have left, we see the problem of submission. And that problem has been exposed for us all throughout verses 13 through 18. 
Verse 13, submit. Verse 16, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, verse 17. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Verse 18, servants be subject to. All of those words and and phrases are associated, you ready, with humble people. That's who they are. That's what they do. That's how they live. That's how they function under authority. Everything that you and I just looked at. So I wonder, any wild guesses on what the problem of submission is? Let me just say this. It's not a wicked and diabolical human government. Not the problem. You ready? The problem of submission is pride. That's the problem. It's that we're standing up on the inside. That's it. Whether it be the home, the civil government, the church, or even the workplace Our pride just will not keep us under authority. It just won't. It keeps moving us. It keeps tempting us. It keeps saying, hey, fight for yourself. Demand your rights. We are Laodicean, are we not? What does that term mean again, Laodicea? Rights of the people, justice of the people. This is a church age that is comprised of people who are so very passionate about their rights. Here's the problem, though. From a biblical perspective, who are you? You are a servant. You show me in Scripture where a servant is fighting for and demanding their rights. They had none. They were slaves. So as a servant of Jesus Christ, why would you ever be preoccupied and concerned about your rights? You know what you're doing when that's how you're wired and that's how you go about life where you're fighting and you're standing up on the inside and you're making your point and you're fighting against Joe Biden or you're fighting against Donald Trump and and you're getting into the, the stream of all of that junk. You know what you're saying? Subtly, what you're saying is, Lord, I deserve to be treated better than you were treated when you were here. Wait a minute. I thought you were to be like him. I thought I was to be like him. So if we are to be like Christ, as we're going to see here in 1 Peter very soon, then why would I ever expect to be treated well? That doesn't check out biblically, brothers and sisters. I'm convinced, though, that one of the reasons that we struggle with pride to the extent that we do is because we really don't know what it looks like to God And how much it bothers him. If we did, we'd die to it every second of every day. 
Look at Exodus 18, beginning in verse 10. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. This is the first mention of the word pride, and we find it in the form of proudly. This is the first mention of it in Scripture. But would you notice it is associated with the Egyptians and Pharaoh? Who were the Egyptians? They were a polytheistic people. That is, believing in and worshiping many gods. Well, who was Pharaoh? That was actually a title for the role, but the Pharaoh that was in view here in Exodus 18 was the Pharaoh who ordered or gave the decree to have all the sons of Israel, what, cast into the river. He asked Moses, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? How's that for pride? He ordered the taskmasters to make the work harder for God's people. He hated God. He hated God's people and wanted to keep them in bondage. He was of his father, the devil, and the less of his father he did. So in this first mention of pride, we see very clearly that it is smothered in idolatry. It is smothered in wickedness. It is smothered in evil. That's why God hates it. That's why he hates it. And that's what he sees in us when we're standing up on the inside. God sees the idolatry of it. He sees the wickedness of it. He sees the evil in it. He sees it. Brothers and sisters, I beg you, I beg myself to understand. Listen, from God's perspective, listen, your pride and my pride is odious to him. It's loathsome. Sickening. And I would ask you to get this. As much as God loves us with an eternal love, listen, God loves us, but listen, as much as God loves us, he hates the pride that is in us. As much as he loves you, He hates the pride that is in you. His hatred is as great as his love for you. Does that make sense? It is a massive turnoff. And here is what he desires from all of us, which you always want to know this, don't you? You always want to know what is it that God desires. What is it that you desire? What is it that you want, Lord? What's your will? Here we go. God wants us to show great respect for his hatred of pride. He wants us to show great respect 
for his hatred of pride. And here's how we do that. Here's how we show great respect for God's hatred of pride. We're going here, but we'll give you a little preview this morning. Go to chapter 5 very quickly of 1 Peter and look at verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. And be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. How do I say, Father, how do I show my heavenly Father great respect for his hatred of pride, you ready, is by being humble. It's by being humble. It is by clothing myself with humility. That's how I say to God, that's how I show him that I have great respect for his hatred of pride. I clothe myself with humility. That's how. We're going to close with this acronym of the word humble. There's nothing magical or fancy about this. This was, if for nobody else, this is for me. And this is one of those that I need to, you know how you post things on your dashboard, right? Your car and, and your place of work uh, at home. I, 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 can't, I can't look at this enough. Okay, I can't. Tony was asking me about Christmas shopping, and which I don't like to do, but I, I went out with Lori and the kids on Friday, and after about an hour, I was done. Like, I just, the parking lots and the, the, the just, I, who, who would do this? Like, why, why, why would you do this to yourself, right? I, I sat in the car and listened to sports. I'm like, listen, I, I take, spend all day if you want. Just don't, I don't want to go in there. Like the parking lot is enough for me, right? Just people, forget it. But, but the Holy Spirit's like, remember that little acronym you were working on? You want to think about that? You ready? Here it is. H, hate pride in all forms. Hate pride in all forms. There are many forms of it, right? You know, in that moment, what I'm saying is, you know, I'm so important. <laughs> These people should know that. So they should get out of my way. There shouldn't be a long line. I shouldn't have to wait for anything. I should be able to go into the store, get what I want, go pay for it and leave. Don't they know who I am? That's pride. Understand, oh boy, that your flesh will always love pride and despise humility. That's your flesh and mine. Is that not right? Your flesh will always love pride and despise humility. And mark humility as a must-have trait. 
I got to have this. I've got to clothe myself with humility. This is a must have trait. Beg God daily for help to walk in the Spirit. The lust of your flesh is pride, not humility. You walk in the Spirit, you'll want what? You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. God, help me to walk in the Spirit. You know, what I regret about Friday was, you know, as you get older, you, you, you start really, you, you, you treasure and you, val- you value time, right? You know, I, I missed that opportunity to just be with my wife and my kids in the store. You know, I, miss, I mean, who knows? Maybe there would have been a good joke or a cool moment. It doesn't matter. I just, those hours that I was sitting in the car protesting, <laughs> listening to sports radio, I could have been holding Lori's hand or something like that, right? You ready? Lower yourself in every discussion and situation. Lower yourself in every discussion and situation. And finally, expect to have to choose to be humble over and over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, is that not right? I mean, I wish this was a one and done home run. I got it. When I say over and over and over and over again, <laughs> that's how it is. Why? Because it's, this is unnatural. Lord, thank you for your precious holy word. May we embrace it fully in our hearts. God, help us all to show great respect for your hatred of pride by clothing ourselves with humility. In Jesus' name, amen.